0: Following reading is from Luke chapter 19, and beginning at verse one. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was so short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus is coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I am to stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, He has gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, Here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. This is the word of the Lord. I remember when I was
1: little, there was a child's song that we used to sing in, in uh, Sunday Church, which was about Zacchaeus. Do you remember? Yeah. Zacchaeus was a very little man. A very little man, was he? <laughs> so, yeah. there we have it. So, God, been <laughs> preparing a sermon, that's actually all I can think about. <laughs> <laughs> I is massively helpful in preparing a sermon. Yeah. But if you get nothing else from today, maybe I can pass on my earworm to you. and yeah. about <laughs> <laughs> So, today we're picking up the theme of And generosity and open hands, giving and not grasping tightly. This is about our choices, and our choices with relations to our possessions and our money. And we've got this passage as our passage today, but also referring to Psalm 65, which um, David read a little bit of earlier. Psalm 65 really focuses on the awesomeness of our Creator God. And the goodness of God who has created um, the um, creation with such love. Um, let me read you a couple of verses. The whole earth is filled with war at your wonders. Where morning dawns and where evening fades, you call forth songs of joy. You care for the land and you water it. You enrich it abundantly. So, generosity and giving. One of my favourite and not always easy answer questions, which I very often circle back around to for myself when I'm wanting to really kind of re- reconnect myself with what's important, is the question about what do I orbit around? What is it that I circle around? What's important for me? What values? What people? What are the things that I make sure that I always have in my vision? What are the things that anchor me to the sense of who I am and what's important in my life? What do I orbit around, and how would that be visible for other people looking at my life and my choices? Well Zacchaeus seems to be a person whose orientation was around wealth and accumulation and gathering possessions. He was trying to make the most of his lot, and his, his orbit seems to be around wealth. He would probably have justified this, saying that he was doing the best he could to provide for his family which is not an unreasonable thing to say. So we see a man who was accumulating, who was holding tightly to the material wealth that he had. And it is easy to sit in judgment on that he is, isn't it? With his dishonest feelings and his disregard for the impact of his behavior on those around him. But as I've been thinking about this, and I've been challenging myself, I do wonder how much I mirror some of those sentiments really as well perhaps a lot more than I would like to admit. Perhaps there's a shadow side of me that is more like some kids than I want the rest of the world to know. Um, I'm concerned about my home. I'm concerned about my possessions. I'm concerned about my income. I do want to accumulate stuff in my life, stuff that feels necessary. And sometimes I accumulate stuff that's just a treat. Um, So actually, this shadow perhaps exists in all of us to some degree and perhaps we don't need to be ashamed of it and pretend it's not there perhaps we need to put it into the light and just recognise this is quite a normal part of being human uh, we, we do have this as part of our human condition the desire to grasp, to grow, to get more, to get more, to do more by acknowledging it and bringing it out from the shadow and into the light perhaps we give ourselves a whole set of different choices about how we relate to it so instead of pretending that we're not that like lucky at all Actually, let's um, let's think about, well, how do we relate to this and how do we make choices? Knowing that this is a part of our human nature. So maybe we can understand he is a bit of a mirror for us. And as we reflect on his story today, let's not look at him as someone other from us that we quite like to dislike, but let's look at him as someone who might reflect back to us parts of ourselves that maybe we're not so proud about. And let's then learn a thing or two about our choices. So let's look at what we know about Zacchaeus. So we know he was a chief tax collector
0: in Jericho. He was a Jew working for the Romans, the occupying power. And this job, by definition, put him in the front line of criticism and hatred. This was a tough choice of occupation for any person. And even though he was in a tough,
1: tough job, he had a particularly bad reputation, it seems. So he clearly didn't make his life any easier for himself in the way that he carried out his job. And it's interesting, earlier in Luke, um, some tax collectors come to John the Baptist to be baptized and they ask him, what can we do to avoid um, damnation? Or whatever it is, Um, I can't remember what they were asking about. Was it damnation or condemnation? Something like that. And John the Baptist replies, don't gather more money than you need to. So I wonder if this thing of tax collectors taking more than they really needed to, whether that was quite an issue, quite a well-known problem. What else do we know? We know that he's very wealthy, and we know that he has an agenda for wealth gain. We also know he was very short. We also know he was interested in Jesus. So something that he heard about this itinerant preacher and this prophet, drew his attention, he wanted to make sure that he saw Jesus. He wanted to make sure that he could at the very least see him or hear him or somehow connect with him. And I wonder if that's an indication that at some level his heart wasn't at peace. He was curious about Jesus and who Jesus was. We also know that he was quite willing to be spontaneous. He had Jesus around to his house with no no prior warning, no, no time to prepare, but he was happy to do that willingly. And we know that to some degree his heart couldn't have been that hard. Because when
0: he encountered Jesus and when he met with him, he very rapidly had
1: a transformation of thinking about his choices. Not only was he willing to make men, pay amends, but make amends he was also willing to pay back fourfold. So clearly, like us, Zacchaeus was quite a complex character. He wasn't just a disobedient tax collector. He was full of a whole range of things and he was making his way through his life the best way he knew how. And at some level we know that he wasn't at peace because he was interested in Jesus. Perhaps as well as all these other things, he also suffered from the fear of missing out. He didn't want this uh, person who was gathering such attention to pass by without him having some um, involvement. So so Zacchaeus made sure that he was in the crowd, and he made sure he could see Jesus by climbing the tree. And Jesus walks towards him and says, I must come and stay at your house. This isn't a request. It's not a leading gently into, you know, will you give me an invitation? Literally direct. And I think this reflects something of Jesus' amazing intuition and capacity to engage with each person that he met in the way they needed to be engaged. with. Something about this directness that caught Zacchaeus' attention and made with what was needed. I'm coming to your so he wasn't giving Zacchaeus any room for manoeuvre. His message was clear, and I think this is really at the heart of um, what I've been pondering about as I've been preparing this. His message to, to Zacchaeus was clear. It was this I see you. I see you. Um, I see you, and I want to engage and connect with you. Zacchaeus, so and how many times in his life had he ever met someone who truly saw him, who truly saw him for who he was, and didn't avoid him and wanted to connect with him? It's really interesting this theme of seeing that runs through this story. Zacchaeus couldn't see Jesus, so he moved to a place where he could, and Jesus came directly up to him and saw him. There's something so significant in there about being seen by God, being seen by Jesus. And I think being seen is such a precious thing. To be seen and to be accepted for everything that I am, and all that
0: I am. Not only is it precious, it's also quite exposing. (laughs) How
1: willing am I to truly be seen by God? Um, I wonder if he's got a bit of a surprise when he was in his victory. Maybe he thought he could see and not be seen. But he he was seen. And he was seen by Jesus, who's the embodiment. Of the goodness, the compassion, and the love of God—that's something special. So we read really, that as Zacchaeus like spends his time with Jesus, he has this immediate transformation of heart, which revolves around his treasure. He'll make amends fourfold and he'll give half of his possessions to the, to the poor. So in his meeting with Jesus, he has a profound shift in what his life orbits around. Instead of orbiting around wealth and accumulation. He moves to an orbit around Jesus and the principles and the values that Jesus stands for. This is his response to the generosity of God and his grace. This is his response to being seen and not avoided by Jesus. So he starts to hold less tightly to his stuff. He starts to open up his hand. And in the book that accompanies the series that we're doing, Bill Heigl talks about, he reflects on, how it's such an instinctive human thing to trench our hands. He says yeah, "We are born as babies our hands are trenched. And if anybody offers us a little pinky finger, we grab onto it. And then he goes through, life and he talks about all these other things we might be grabbing onto, like the first rung of the career ladder, the second rung of the ladder. <laughs> uh, we grab onto our, our walking frames when we're on the study. So this idea that we're, we're quite used to gra- grasping things and grabbing things. And how this contrasts with the picture of God we have, the God who opened his arms and his hands on the cross. Um, In Psalm 145 it says, you open your hands to satisfy the desire of every living thing. So the image of God that we're familiar with is of open hands and generosity. Our challenge is to release and let go and to find our our own way of opening our hands. And I think this is the same question about, around, about what we orbit around. It's a different way of asking the same thing. What do I to tightly to? What do I orbit around? And how prepared am I to open up my hands and to hold things a little bit more loosely? You? As you'll maybe have surmised by the fact that I was singing about Zacchaeus in Sunday school, I've been a Christian in my life. and um, and it's quite easy, therefore, when I think about giving, giving generously, it's quite easy for me to slip into a set of quite formulaic and maybe even legalistic kind of views on that and why it's important. And my narrative would go something very simple like this. It's the good and right Christian thing to do, It's obedient. The Bible says we should do it, It's obedient. So in view in here, the sense that giving comes from responsibility, it's in that it, I ought to be generous as an act of obedience. And sometimes, more than just a sense of responsibility, there may even be a sense of reputation. Well, if others know I'm a good Christian, now, then they need to see that I'm generous. Um, but perhaps the story of Zacchaeus gives us another lens on this. It's not necessarily about responsibility or about reputation, but it is about response our response to encountering the God who sees us, the God who is good. So it's about response, but then I have another question, which is, what does it require to have this kind of encounter with God that enables our hearts to be touched to have this response to his goodness and his love? What does it take? And the book uh, book that um, Connect Groups will be working through the emphasis is placed on ensuring that we give ourselves time, time to recognise the goodness of God in our lives, like we just did before the sermon. Time to reflect and to let the blessings of God come kind of thinking. Do we take the time to acknowledge them? Do we let them touch our hearts?
0: Now, I don't disagree
1: with that at all. I think it's really important to think about what in the daily rhythm of our lives do we see that relates to the goodness of God and His provision for us? You know, as we're reminded from um, lamentations, His mercies never fail; they are fresh every morning. Grace is your faithfulness. But I have to confess that I have really struggled with this as I've been preparing the sermon. And um, my struggle has been this: that it's very uh, at one level, it's quite easy for me to take on board the idea that I need to pause and reflect on the goodness of God in my life and from there, with to gratitude. But, in the last 10 days, over 20,000 people have died in the floods in Syria. Over 2,000 people have died in the earthquakes in Morocco. And I struggle with the question of how do I hold together the sense of the generosity of God in my life? and the unimaginable trauma and suffering in other people's lives. It feels profoundly difficult to stand here and say, pause and think of the blessing of God, and give your So if we're called to respond to God's goodness, how do we make sense of this dilemma? Now, I don't have a answer to that. <laughs> I really wish I did, but I want to mention it. Because I think if we are going to really grapple with the complexity of our faith, we need, to we need to acknowledge that it isn't that simple. If God is a generous and a good God, he's a generous and a good God to all of humanity. If he is a good God, he wishes to encounter everybody in the same way that he encounters Zacchaeus. So somehow, for the millions in the world who don't have enough to eat today, who don't have provision for their physical needs, who are suffering incredible and unimaginable trauma, God must still be a generous God. He is still a good God. So how do we sit with it? Well, for me, when I'm in doubt, I just go back to the passage, because that's the place that we can find some anchor. And going back to the passage, what we see is that the goodness of God that Zacchaeus responds to is not material or physical. It's a spiritual goodness. It's an encounter with a God who accepts him, a God who loves him, a God who will not avoid him. And so this maybe is, in, is the nature of God's generosity and goodness to us. This is what transforms his heart. A spiritual encounter with the God of compassion and love. So where I'm at with all of this then, is not a question of counting my material blessings and being generous in response where I landed, with a slightly different question. How do I allow myself to fully be seen and see God? How do I allow myself to truly encounter God at a level that will change my heart, not just change my mind? How, in the daily rhythm of my life, do I connect and touch Him? Do I allow myself to be seen? Or am I busy going through the normal rituals of my Christian faith? the rituals of praying, the rituals of reading the Bible, whatever my rituals are, but I'm not truly stopping and allowing myself to truly be seen. I find it quite hard to be seen. It's much easier for me as a human being to be seen for what I do rather than who I am. So these are the questions. If I do give myself time to encounter the true God who sees me and loves me and doesn't avoid me, then this will transform. And this will enable my choices to loosen my grip on my position and give from a place of gratitude. And maybe it will become more instinctive to the orbiting around him. And I think this is applicable to all of humanity, no matter how dire people's circumstances. Maybe this is the hope that we can have. It's no matter how challenging people's physical lives are, this dimension of meeting and being seen by God is still available for everybody. So how are you allowing yourself to be fully seen and fully loved by Jesus? How do you get in the way of yourself? What might you need to know to decide to really allow that to happen? And how well do you allow your heart to be touched by the encounter with him and by the generosity of his spirit? So may we learn to be to meet with God in a way which transforms our hearts. When we pray together, when we meet together, May we be a community for whom generosity is not because we're good Christians and it's our responsibility, or because we're concerned about all the other people think of our reputation. Maybe we can be a community whose generosity arises from this response to what we know and how we meet God—not about our reputation, but our response to being seen and to seeing the God of generosity.